0: Philip at Summerhawk. It is time to perform your baseline. Repeat after me. Content. Content. You create to consume content. Content. You make content to be educational. Content. You consume content to get into things. Content. Name your content.
1: I never got into that.
0: Podcast. Podcast. You speak into a microphone to make a podcast. Podcast. You try to be funny for a podcast. Funny. No, the the word the word's podcast in this part.
1: That it's supposed to be funny.
0: No, it's this is the baseline test. You're, you're supposed to But it to hasn't
1: been funny yet. We do funny in the cold open.
0: Okay, but the the name of it is even cold open. It's supposed to be kind of cold. This is Blade Runner. Things are cold. I don't,
1: I don't think that's why it's cold.
0: That's. I,
1: I told you that we should have just tried to do. We should have just found a way to do a recapture test ver, verbally.
0: I've. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay. Scrap it. We'll edit this out. Give, give School me. School bus. <laughs> <laughs> All squares that aren't a school bus. School bus. <laughs> Welcome to I Never Got Into That. This week, we're getting back into Blade Runner, but this time in 2049.
1: 50 years in the few... Nope, 30. Back in math. <laughs> i've ever had to work with
0: (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to i never got into that as always i am half of your hosting team Colin, joined as always by my dear friend over there
1: i'm philip philip long or am i
0: oh my gosh would you look up into the left for me (laughs) he didn't do it you guys he didn't do it he looked straight at me he must be a replicant uh long time no see i do right we we wrapped the recording of blade runner way back oh gosh what it's been uh it's been about eight minutes now uh yeah so Mm -hmm. we're we made the decision that because blade runner was so big and spoiler alert we loved Blade Runner 2049 so much that it needed to be two episodes so that we could get into one and get super, super excited about the other. So, Philip, uh, you were the one who would never gotten into Blade Runner. Was there was that the reason why you'd never seen 2049?
1: Yeah, basically um, it. it- yeah, it was essentially just, I have a daughter, I have a child now. I don't get to go go to the movies quite as often as I once did. Um, so that's that's part of it as well. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it just was one of those where I haven't seen the predecessor to this. And it seems like the sort of movie where I need to have seen the predecessor to understand it. Yeah. And after watching it, I'm glad I'm... <laughs> I I think I accurately assessed that. Yeah,
0: I, uh, I'm okay. So when when we are discussing or potentially pitching topics back and forth to each other, when Philip told me he had never seen Blade Runner, I got truly ecstatic and not because I thought he would love Blade Runner but because I thought that, like myself, he would love Blade Runner 2049. And we are in the huge minority here, but I, I saw 2049 um, when it, it first became available on digital. Uh, I'd been so very excited, because I was not in the world watching movies. I was so very excited to get to participate in it. Uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. And I think I think this week re-watching was the fourth time for me um uh, Denis Villeneuve is someone whose career I have been fascinated by and I'm gonna be honest I really think 2049 is for me a perfect science fiction movie I, I I passionately loved this movie, and I was so excited to get you into it.
1: I I really enjoyed it. I I'm very happy. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. <clears throat> you know, um, I was talking about this with um, with one of my friends the other night. And I was expressing my kind of ambivalent feelings about uh, Blade Runner compared to my reaction to Blade Runner 2049, uh, and he put it, I think, in a very nice way. He said. It's the extremely rare sequel that makes the first movie better.
0: 100%. Yeah, and that's, I will say that re-watching Blade Runner for this podcast was the first time I've rewatched it since 2049. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me to separate and try to remember how much I liked versus really liked Blade Runner because I watched it before seeing 2049 to go back into that world, but... For me now they are interlinked uh, because yeah. we're of the age where I didn't necessarily grow up with Blade Runner. I was pretty grown when I found it. And so to me, 2049 is like the payoff for having been there for Blade Runner, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, like we said with the previous episode from here on full blown spoilers. Uh, after I, Word. I get us to the movie, we aren't going to do as in-depth of a breakdown of the sequence of events in the movie. We'll do a, a rougher overview uh, because there's a lot more in this movie to talk. I think there is, oh, this is going to get me in trouble, a lot more substance in Blade Runner 2049 than there is in the original. Uh, so let's let's just kick straight from that hot take into Dilly, Dinny. Villeneuve, born October 3rd, 1967, I'm about to butcher this, in Becancourt, Quebec. He studied science uh, at the Three Rivers Academy before film at the University of Quebec in Montreal. His first movie is entitled August 32nd on Earth, which came out in 1998 quite a title <laughs> I don't know much about that uh, it was it was small it debuted at the cannes Film Festival the uh, the actor in it won and it failed to get nominated for the other awards that it was submitted for he broke out with his second film in 2000 titled maelstrom Philip, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Maelstrom because I've seen almost everything from Denny. I don't know your experience, but I can't I can't explain the experience of Maelstrom without the surrealist breakdown. So the movie starts um, in a a fish market and the story is told to you by a fish being gutted.
1: Um, and
0: he uses... What now? Yeah, yup.
1: Y- y- I'm sorry. I, I thought you just told me that the story was being told to me by a fish being gutted.
0: Okay, I must have said that wrong. Because what I meant to say was that set in a fishmongers, the story is told to you by a fish who is being gutted. <laughs> He tells you the story in his final moment uh, about a story that took place in Quebec. The story of a businesswoman who has an abortion and then goes on. I don't know why that's important, but the fish tells you. You definitely just changed sources.
1: Oh, boy. Do I, su- I sound like differently? You. you sound differently. You don't sound unclear, but the way you sound changed.
0: Mm. Uh, I accidentally set my notebook on my keyboard, so I wonder what I hit.
1: Do I sound okay, though? You sound okay. Okay. It just, just sounded like it switched what you were coming through. Where did that happen? Uh, she has an abortion, and then... Okay. Okay.
0: And then you're never told really why that's important. But there's a lot of death and a lot of life in this movie. The fish then tells us that one night there is a car accident where the the main character, Bibian, hits a fishmonger. She, she runs him over, and he winds up dying. She flees the scene. The dude that she hits dies. He stumbles away from the accident to die at his kitchen table. Later, the main character is at a seafood restaurant with uh, another character, and they order octopus. And they're told the octo—the reason that the octopus doesn't taste good is because the fishmonger that they normally get the octopus from just died. And so she goes, because she realizes that she killed the fishmonger, she goes and meets the fishmonger's son, who she then has an affair with. This affair keeps him from getting on an airplane, which would have crashed, then he finds out that she killed his dad, and so technically she killed his dad, but saved his life, and so he doesn't know how to feel about it. Then it cuts to the fish, who says that the entire moral of this story was to tell you the meaning of life, and that's when the fish is decapitated and the credits roll. What? Maelstrom, by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I kind of dig it. (laughs) So that
1: is bizarre. Yeah,
0: it certainly is an experience. Uh, That movie happens in 2000. No idea why, but he goes on an extended break and his next film arrives in 2009, Polytechnique. It's about the shootings that occurred at the University of Montreal in 1989. He then directs his fourth film in 2010, Incendies, uh, which got him his most nominations to date at the time. Um, He was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language, but he didn't win. That was in French. Um, 2014, he releases the movie Prisoners. With Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Have you seen Prisoners? I have not. I told you the story of Maelstrom. Because I don't anticipate you ever seeing the movie Maelstrom. I, yeah. Prisoners is. And it, it, I I mean this with no overstatement. Maybe the best example of acting. In the last 15 years. It is an absolute powerhouse movie uh, with Hugh Jackman absolutely destroying that movie. He is wonderful. And Jake Gyllenhaal, that was really the start of the Gyllenhaal renaissance of of Mm. really returning to form. Uh, Movie is incredible, and it did wonderfully. Later that year, he directed Sicario, which you may have seen, uh, which is... Just a, a wonderful kind of under... It's almost like a, 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 one of those gritty, seedy Michael Bay movies from the 90s before he went on mm-hmm. Transformers. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way. Um, yeah. It's it's great. And then his love of science caught up with him. And in 2016, he directed Arrival with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Mm, yeah. And Arrival was the kind of movie that the world just wasn't ready for. and no, Nobody was prepared for Arrival. Yeah. Um, it's the story of an extraterrestrial invasion is the wrong word. I think Arrival is just the right word. Yeah, um, it's first contact. Yeah, and maybe peaceful, maybe not. It's yeah. very tentative. It's very, very... Uh, intense in its quietness. Um, It's a movie where really like three things happen, Uh, but it is very tense. There's, there's almost like a sense of the film breathing uh, as, Mm. as the energy pulses, which made it very interesting that he was going to follow that up by upping the scope uh, and being tapped by Warner brothers to direct the sequel to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner entitled 2049. Um, this movie then proceeded to do okay. It cost all the money. And Oof. most of the critics said, eh, it was pretty good. That was pretty good. But like most of the critics who are, in their sixties and grew up on blade runner made statements like Mm -hmm. failed to capture the magic of the original understood the world and not the meaning of the original. Um, This is where, for those of you still with us, Philip and I are going to proceed to disagree wholeheartedly with those opinions. Yeah. Philip, let's get into it, man. Tell
1: me, tell me your thoughts on I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just imagining the colossal ego that one would require to say to anyone else that you clearly failed to understand the message of mm-hmm. Blade Runner. <laughs> there is absolutely <laughs> nothing about Blade Runner that's clear. This is true. It's Ambiguity, the movie. <laughs> I, the, the idea, I mean, unless unless what you put on is a slapstick comedy, right. I really don't see how you could claim that someone didn't understand the message of Blade Runner. Because that suggests that you did. And I don't know
0: that that's true. And, and as we discussed in the last episode, most of what's positive about Blade Runner is that it's your interpretation mm-hmm. of Blade Runner.
1: It's yeah. your experience with it. It's it. very much left to the... Yeah, it's very relativistic in that sense. It's very postmodern. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was being upset with that critic. Uh, I really liked this. I liked this more than I liked Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yes, I liked this. In fact, I like this a lot more. Same here. Than I same Blade here.
0: Runner. You uh, have to fight I both think, of us on this one.
1: Yeah, I think that Blade Runner, I agree with my with my friend, I think Blade Runner is improved by this film. Blade Runner becomes a better film because this film exists. Um this film asks the same question that Blade Runner is asking or, or at least the same question that is one of the questions that Blade Runner is, is asking uh, and that all sci-fi is asking about the nature of humanity. But it asks it in a completely different way and from a, I think, completely different perspective. And that makes it like this film is I don't know, almost an Answer to Blade Mm. Runner,
0: yeah, well said. Well said. I think, yeah, I think that this movie has a lot more to say, and I think that Denny evolved what we liked about Blade Runner, which is show, don't tell. It was show and tell with subtext. Um, I have one Mm. pointed example which I will get to. Uh, as we broad stroke uh, over this, the story, if you have not seen, if you listened to the last episode, you know about replicants. This takes place in 2049 instead of 2019. So 30 years later, we follow a replicant. Replicants are now legal again. Uh, they serve their purpose. We are now on the eighth generation, The the fours. They're no longer able to disobey. Yes. Is what we're told. Yeah. The fourth generation is where Roy Batty uh, and his band of miscreants were. The fifth was failed. We assume the fifth is Rachel, uh, maybe a couple like her. Yeah. Uh, the sixth is where we pick up as being the outlawed race. Uh, that is who Ryan Gosling as K, uh, short for KD6 3.7, the. Police officer, Blade Runner. Uh, he is supposed to be tracking down series six, model sixes um, or eight. I'm sorry. I got that number wrong. It's eight that is retired. Um, right. Nine That's is what he is. six is what that is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, starts off with him retiring one, receiving a job and going to retire Dave Batista in the Honestly, the most surprised I've ever been to see Dave Batista show up on screen.
1: Yeah. And wearing tiny little round glasses I, that make him look harmless. How does Dave Batista How do you make him look harmless? He's balding,
0: he's graying, he's wearing spectacles, and yet he also looks like he could probably cut a mean slice of pie. Like I, re- mm-hmm. I really trust old farmer Batista. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he's doing. He is a a farmer at a protein farm where they've solved the world hunger problem. They are growing proteins. Basically, they're making mealworms and using that for Mm -hmm. what they need to. He tells Kay in maybe the most important line of dialogue Dave Batista will ever have that the only reason he can kill his own kind is because he's never seen a miracle. Uh, And so Kay kills him. Kills him dead. Yeah. Good
1: fight. Gr- what a great, brutal and visceral fight to what start a, with. What a great way to tell us that Ryan Gosling is a replicant mm-hmm. because nothing tells you Ryan Gosling is a replicant until they start to fight until you see Gosling hit back with, with comparable force. Oh, yeah. um, Like it's not like the fight between like it's, there's a lot of nice little, like, throwbacks or callbacks mm-hmm. to Harrison Ford fighting replicants like Batista throws Gosling against a wall and tries to smash him through a wall they go through a plaster wall these yep. are all callbacks to some of the action scenes from the first one and that's really nice but Ryan Gosling is not having to run away the way that Harrison Ford is having to do when he fights Batty it's it's such a good way of not having to just outright tell us a good way of revealing Gosling to us as an, as a replica. Then what a the first victory for Denis
0: Villeneuve in this movie, I think is Mm -hmm. presenting a realistic hand to hand combat where I believed that Ryan Gosling beat Dave Bautista. That you learn his character in that first fight. You learn his Mm -hmm. capabilities, important character aspect. You learn that pain does not register to him. His, his body yeah. process is the same loss, but he, whether he feels it or not, does not respond to pain uh, when he is stabbed in the arm with a scalpel and sliced and he just keeps punching with his off arm, which we couldn't do. Yeah. Um, nope. He finds buried uh, <laughs> under a tree because he has a super drone. Uh, a box that contains the remains of a replicant who died
1: during a C-section, which is stunning. Yeah, but I, I think the first thing that happens, and this is really fascinating to me because I really feel like more ought to have been made of it in the film. It's one of those things where the film is very understated and I expected more to be made of it. We've been told there's been a complete ecological collapse oh, yes. on earth. And that's why they're having to farm this mm-hmm. way. The Every, we see almost nothing green. Um, the, the, well, we see nothing green. The There's a tree outside the far, uh, farmhouse. It's obviously dead. It's just never been cut down, which is remarked on. And of course the reason is because the box is hidden there, but we walk out and we look down at the tree and growing at the base of the tree is a flower. There is something growing and you kind of have the impression that nothing else is growing on the planet right now or nearly so. And it, it's not just passed over or anything, but I, I, really felt like that was going to be a really important data point. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't come back, but it is, it does mark a, I think beginning to doubt. For yeah. K. it also marks as a film
0: it marks the arrival of symbolism because yeah. we see and color uh, true which has been lacking from the series uh, we see literal life having sprung from literal death um, and yep. more symbolism along those lines will continue to follow as this movie is not scared of that and I think manages very well while avoiding being ham-fisted he returns back to do his baseline tests uh, at the the police station and is then told that the revelation that replicants biologically reproduced will set the world on fire and start a war between humans and replicants who will uprise uh, if they realize that they can be an independent species So she assigns... By a really spectacular Robin Wright. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. And, you know, this is 2015, so this is mid-House of Cards. This is while she is just... She is swinging for the fences, and she brings such a calculated power to this role. Oh, she's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Kay is sent to visit the Wallace Corporation, which is the spiritual and actual successor to the Tyrell Corporation, uh, where we meet our new uh, head bad scientist Nyander Wallace, uh, played by Jared Leto, played very well. I think wonderful. Jer-
1: I loved his character. Um, yeah, he's I mean, This is a person with a Messiah complex, and he has the classic Jesus hair and beard. Yeah. Like, you know, it looks like he got up in the morning, looked at a picture, at a a bad illustration of Jesus from the Mm -hmm. 90s, and said, I will look like that.
0: (laughs) I'll take that, please. His replicant enforcer named Love, which is a big deal because since the Nexus 8s, they have stopped naming replicants. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Love... Has a name is a big deal and sets her apart. Love is able to determine that the remains underneath that tree are that of Rachel, who had run off with (gasps) Decker. She's (sighs) from the first movie. Le gasp. It's fitting that it's French because this is from Jenny. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so Rachel had a baby. Uh, Kay goes back to... To the farm does some more research and is explicitly told uh that he needs to retire the child he needs to find the child and retire he and his girlfriend disagree his girlfriend being an artificial intelligence which is holographically projected look he's
1: dating alexa let's just be honest about it he's dating yeah
0: it's it's real like have you seen her with joaquin
1: phoenix uh, I haven't. Okay.
0: But it did make me think you of need to, because that is a beautiful and delicate film, but that's exactly what I thought. And he, he is, yeah. he, he's got a rig installed in his home that allows her to be projected anywhere. And he spends his bonus for having found Rachel's remains on basically buying a thumb drive that lets her be projected anywhere around him. Uh, it's technology mm-hmm. that the movie just states and we accept uh, because it provides us yeah. with some very beautiful moments. I loved this relationship between the AI and the rich. It's
1: fascinating the the different ways of interplay. Um, there's there's all sorts of things about it that suggest things about the technology. Like she she's clearly a hologram, but she also clearly touches him in a sense like she's aware of his space yeah puts her hand on his face and and he yeah and and he seems to be aware of her space like it's when he when he puts a hand on her or when she puts a hand on him it doesn't look like they're clipping into each other like it's um there's a a point where she sinks up Mm -hmm with another replicant in order to borrow her physical presence. And she is a lady of the in, night. So he, she is hired willingly. Yeah. This, this is much, right. Yeah. Much different yeah. from blade runners. Uh, 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 yeah. I use the word borrowed. I didn't mean like possessed. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, this is a, uh, this is again, we're kind of just implied. This is a thing that can be done. Yep. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it really, ex- much more effectively than blade runner extends the question of AI and love mm. in a way that Blade Runner kind of nodded towards, but this really explores that in a much more depth. And, and yeah, I know I found that relationship really, really fascinating uh, to, to the point that, again, we've agreed that all spoilers on the table here, uh, to the degree that when when... Th- <laughs> When a replicant named Love uh crushes her emanator and kills her, uh you feel you feel for it. Like it's it's like you know that's an AI, but there's pain and panic and fear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And her her final words are I love you and you believe her. And it's uh, on the, the symbolism note, uh, very wonderfully, love snuffs out joy. Uh, yeah, literally crushes because that is the the A.I.'s name uh, that the, mm-hmm. the program, because I don't know. I feel like it was designed in sure. a way where she gets more agency the longer she's in a relationship with one of the customers. Maybe I'm overstating. Have you ever asked you this? Have you ever have
1: you ever messed with a chat bot?
0: No, but I will tell you that I am—I uh, am apparently the key demographic for TikTok to think I'm lonely enough to advertise a chatbot girlfriend subscription app. So, yeah, I'm
1: sure I need a life. Uh, well, um, I don't know what that one is. I messed around with a free one because I kept seeing these things about how creepy they were getting. Right, it's creepy. Yeah, it is. Creepy. Um, I mean, it's not. It doesn't get into weird, uncanny valley stuff because you you very quickly you can confuse it very easily. Like it's super easy to confuse it if you just give it. Well, I mean, this is kind of weird, but the the whole idea of the the Voigt-Kampf test to give you a weird stimulus right. and you don't react correctly to it. You give it anything out of the ordinary as as a stimulus, and it doesn't. And it also. Right now, I mean I'm sure there's probably more sophisticated ones, but the one I tried to just have a conversation with also pretty clearly couldn't remember more than a dozen exchanges back mm. um, like it could remember some points some data points, some big data points, but it couldn't it couldn't keep our whole like conversation in its head all the time. Yeah, but who knows um, in 2049 so, but yeah, no, I mean that's what I'm saying is already it's pretty good. Like it's pretty strong. You can have, if you're willing to, you know, to nudge it a little bit along the lines that you want, you can have a pretty effective conversation. Um, with, with an algorithm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's eerie. So this, this felt like not that far off. And I realized that 2490 is not that far <laughs> off. <laughs> it's, it's
0: frustratingly interesting.
1: to me in, in a very deep way, but, um, but it really did not see, it felt not very, not that far off. Uh, Kay begins searching through records
0: with Joy's help um, and is able to find that twins were born on the same day with only the sex chromosome different between them genetically. Uh, tracks it to an orphanage, meets a memory designer who confirms that the orphanage memory that Kay has is real. Uh, and he believes he's Rachel's Deckard, who is living in the wasteland of Las Vegas, um, which man Denis made Las Vegas look even more depressing than it does inhabited. <laughs> it is, it, that is <laughs> that is one sad desert land. Um, Love has set off on her mission to track. And follow Kay. She's kept him alive long enough for him to do his job so that she can do her mm-hmm. job, which is to capture the child. Uh, she kills the the officer in charge, Robin Wright, the lieutenant, uh, in tracking mm-hmm. him down. And can I just say that when she kills that coroner by just slapping him in the spinal cord? Oh, my God. I had a harder time with that than I did the Tyrell execution. Yeah. It.
1: I it was do. so it was, violent. It was so gross, and it was so fast. Because we lingered on him afterwards. If he had just, if she had just hit him and he falls to the ground, and we're just, oh, okay, he's dead. But it, it, his, it his neck is bent um, inward. His eyes yep. and his, mm. no, nope. yeah, he's bleeding nope. from nope. everything.
0: Oh, it's in. Yep. It is a lot. If Blade Runner one's yep. violence was too much for you, watch a YouTube summary of this one because the violence in 2049 while I still don't think is definitive of the movie experience is
1: a lot to take. Um, And it's abrupt too. And I think that's the big difference is the, the violence can catch you off guard in blade runner, but the, the one really big, horrible scene with um, with batty killing Tyrell you Mm -hmm. see coming like that's, that's clearly about to happen. You're going to help me or I'm going to kill you. Likewise. Likewise. Pris's death uh, is, is fairly obvious. Um, The violence in this one tends to be just sudden. Yeah. uh, And that, that does make it shocking. I mean, when he hops out of the spinner
0: uh, in the wasteland and is surrounded by those vagabonds and he punches the one and then shoots three of them. That's his warning Mm -hmm. to the group is he will just he will literally remove the life from three at will. Oh, it's intense. So he does, in fact, find Deckard. Uh, We get the return of Harrison Ford with all of his overwhelming charisma in the role. Um, Again, I think this movie succeeds in spite. Um, Can I can I just real quick tangent and say the thing that I am the most upset about? is learning that the only way Harrison Ford would agree to return to this movie is that he refused to be costumed. In the entirety of the fiction that is Blade Runner, there is only one character to wear freaking jeans and a t-shirt, and it's Deckard in the sequel? Mm -hmm. Anyway, they have a really cool fight. Then they have a really frustrating conversation. Where he says, yep, I had a kid and I don't know anything about them. That's when uh, love kicks down the door. She kills joy. I'm going to say kill because there is a humanity to the A.I. of joy. And I loved her. Um, Her final words to K. After she saves his life because she activates her projector, distracts love and then gets herself smashed. Uh, With tear-filled projection eyes, she reaches for Kay, proclaiming, I love you, before being snuffed out. Love takes Kay, uh, they go, or love takes uh, Deckard and leaves Kay to die. The prostitute that Joy hired, go ahead. Uh, Harrison Ford, Deckard, has a dog. Yeah, the best line he has. Is it real?
1: Ask him. <laughs> yeah and we are i i swear i was I was like on the edge of my seat as the as the car rides away because we see the missile blow up and the dog is lying over yeah. by the wall um and I'm sitting here like oh, yeah God, that, that whiskey dog. drinking dog uh <laughs> The dog gets up. The dog is fine. We never see the dog again. So I guess I'm making an assumption. I
0: mean, it was it was able to survive in this wasteland. But yes, I'm sure that he's fine without Deckard. Or maybe he was saved and we don't see it because Kay is saved um, by a tracker that Mariette, the prostitute, had put on because she is part of a replicant resistance group. The leader of which knows that Deckard and Rachel had a child and helped to hide the child and reveals to Kay that he is not the child. The child is the woman that he met earlier, who is the memory engineer, which was some very cool Mm -hmm. uh, imagination that went into that. We have uh, Wallace intimidating Deckard, trying to get him to give information. Uh, about Rachel, where the child went, and he presents a recreated version of Rachel. When Deckard
1: calls him out on getting it wrong, this is solid. This is solid. Like uh, as much as we've kind of you know ragged on Harrison Ford for kind of phoning it in, her eyes were uh, green. Now his is a. It- Good and his line. best
0: moment was when Rachel the this new reborn version of Rachel mm-hmm. reached up and touched his cheek and said, don't you love me? Yo, uh, Deckard was not doing okay. Deckard. Yeah. You could read the conversation he was having with himself of, I want this to be her. And then he turns and mm-hmm. says, her eyes were green. And then the second most brutal death with single handedly, the best, collapse of a corpse I've ever seen it is a striking way that her body falls when love executes her Mm -hmm. and Wallace orders Deckard to be taken off world to be tortured to give up all of the information and love takes him Kay recognizing that it will cost him his life attacks the convoy that is flying out to the submerged Launch pad of the new Los Angeles airport um, kills two spinners, the flying cars, and then has one of the coolest fist fights I've ever seen. It's
1: hmm. that
0: fight of K and love is so intense and And this movie follows up on Blade Runner's original intention of everybody kisses each other whenever there's an intense moment. Um, love beats K kisses him and says, I'm the better one. And then Mm -hmm. K strangles her to death while she is choking him and punching him back. It is incredibly brutal. Uh, Also, I'll tell you, I've watched a lot of horror movies, a lot of action movies. I don't respond to anything quite so much as I do suffocation being shown on screen. Yeah. And I believe that's how long it would take to strangle slash drown someone. But I kind of wish the camera would have cut away Mm. for a minute because I want to check up on that actress.
1: (laughs) That was a lot. Yeah, man. It was it was
0: a lot. And so uh, Kay saves Deckard. They take the spinner back to the engineering office. Kay has his cowboy bebop moment where he sits on the the stairs in the snow and peacefully Mm -hmm. resigns himself from his life. Very reminiscent of Roy Batty in the rain saying, time to die. Yep. Uh, And Deckard gets to meet his daughter wordlessly. Uh, And the movie ends... For the first time, in Blade Runner, with an overwhelming feeling of hope. Yeah, the world is going to change for the better because of that movie. Uh, the the world that movie is set in. Yeah, let's get into this, man. What, what like, I I loved the fact. To me, this was. You you heard about why Lucas stopped making Star Wars after the original trilogy, because he needed technology to catch up to his imagination. This, to me, felt like the world of Blade Runner that they were trying to show me. I feel like the, yeah. the world that we spoke about, yeah. l- our appreciation of them building, I felt like Denny Villeneuve realized it. Uh, that world mm-hmm. is so...
1: Visceral and lived in. Yeah, it's much more vibrant, and uh, I mean, and obviously, re- much more reliant on, on CGI, which has mm-hmm. come so far since since the eighties. Uh, and so you don't have the you don't have quite as much of the lavish practical detail that that you get with um, with Scott, but but man, just beautiful. The score. Pays a lot back to the first score, um, using just large chunks of it just right out of the bat. I mean, a lot of the score scoring the in this one sidebar uh, done by Hans Zimmer, who
0: uh, didn't uh, do the original, but as we discussed at the end of the last episode, understands Ridley Scott's mind. Uh, I think he's an yeah. artist who gets artists.
1: Yeah, uh, it is yeah just beautifully scored the acting the performances are great from all the principles. um it just it just hits and i think that the the question of humanity being asked from an android perspective is or from a replicant perspective is so very interesting because we you know we saw the can a can a human accept a replicant's humanity question in blade runner and seeing almost can a replicant accept a replicant humanity a replicant's humanity being the question here because i mean right right at the beginning um, k k is also kind of a burnout like Kay is Kay is kind of just going through the motions uh, and when he's told he needs to get rid of the, the child um, he makes a comment about not having about having souls and his boss says, you've been doing just fine without." Oh one. man. Oh um,
0: yeah. Cause that exchange goes, I've never retired something that was born before. And she says, what difference does it make Mm -hmm. being born? I guess you'd have a soul. And she says, you've been getting by just fine without one. Oh, Oh, you Mm -hmm.
1: just don't view me. That's so bold faced. And and I think the thing is that you're seeing in this is K coming to terms with his Mm -hmm. humanity. Um, because he, at the beginning, pretty clearly accepted himself as a replicant and as therefore inherently subordinate and and submissive and all these things, and throughout the film we see him. We see him change that. Also, obviously, we we am, we very quickly see him break the thing we we're told in the opening crawl that he's not capable of disobedience. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a really, I can think of a lot of ways this goes wrong to decide. I'm going to make a movie contemplating, uh, the humanity of an AI. And it's going to be from the perspective of the AI. This to use the example you give. this is let's make her, but from the perspective of the voice in right, his phone. right? Um, and I, and it, it takes it to other levels because of course his relationship with joy raises the stakes on that a little bit because he's artificial, but he has a body. And so it's easier for us to go, well, okay, humanity, she's artificial and doesn't have a body. And this film tries to convince you yeah, of humanity. when she says she and hires the prostitute and says, I want to be real for you.
0: And he says, you are real yeah.
1: Like that's, it's um, it, it's there's depth to this. There's a lot of complexity to this, and I think it, I think it says what Blade Runner was trying to say. Just more more eloquently, maybe. I, I would say that
0: I I agree with the eloquence. I would also say that it's less tentative in saying it. I, I feel mm. like Villeneuve is more willing to say it. Rather than leave it understood. Um, Yeah. And. And I think that's so bold from someone who we just went through his filmography up to that point. He's done nothing. Up till then, that was, quote, big studio feature. Um, You know, prisoners, as much as I raved about it. it is an independent film. It's a small scale. It takes place in a basement. Um, and he, he took on something like this and just so boldly charged into it, making statements, uh, man, I, I think it was incredible. And I think that this is maybe my favorite use of, of CGI ever, because mm. the way that they did Joy. And watching this, as I said, is my fifth time viewing the movie. Um, and I will probably watch it five more over the rest of my life. When she's standing still, she appears solid. The more she moves mm-hmm. and the more dramatically she moves, the more opaque she becomes. And when she sinks with the, the escort. There's there's a level where you're not sure at certain points who is transparent and who is physical. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's so incredible. And I also, I love that scene existing as kind of his opportunity to change the, the way that physical intimacy had been shown in the original, um, mm-hmm. which changed into this very explicit demonstration of consent uh, and yeah i honestly i found that scene to be reminiscent for me of the last samurai uh when when the female is dressing tom cruise before the battle and mm-hmm. how how intensely personal that was uh, and this this scene yeah. does wonderfully with nothing explicit with pure implication. Yeah. And one of the most tender kisses where you don't know which of the female's eyes are open. It's in- impossible to describe, right. but when you see it in a genuinely appropriate way, you want to watch it again because there's so much yeah. happening there. And so much of, as you perfectly put it in the last episode, so much being shown and not told. We mm-hmm. are seeing either the birth or the realization of humanity in, in these characters and in this story. It's it's so profound. I, I, I loved it so much. Uh, yeah. I also liked that in opposition to Blade Runner, we get to start with a character who's not a good guy and who ends as a hero. Because yeah. Decker doesn't change. Over the course of Blade Runner. No, he just runs at the end. He just he just leaves. Yeah. He's still a dude who killed replicants and never thought about it. Kay evolves. Kay changes. And yeah. it's another wonderful juxtaposition for me of Ryan Gosling's humanity in that performance. That character is so wonderfully owned
1: by him. Oh man. Yeah. No, he's, he's fantastic. Like hmm. the film, the film leaves plenty for you to wonder about. Like there's a lot of the trail of events that leads Kay to question his humanity, to wonder what, to think he's Rachel's child. Like there's a whole bunch of these, these events that, that tie to tie in that Villeneuve doesn't doesn't then necessarily link up for us and I, and I like that because that's very much the, the original film but it's it's not quite so morally gray. It it takes a stance on what is what is right and what is mm-hmm. wrong here. And and that's interesting um in this world because the first blade runner is in every way morally ambiguous. Roy Batty is a horrible murderer in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, he has done recently a couple of really nasty murders. Uh, and, and really only one of them could you offer a justification for. Uh, and, and yet at the end, you're, you're left feeling sympathy for him. Deckard has killed a couple different people already. And, and, Actually, huh. yeah, just a couple, um, and only one of those is in, in any kind of self-defense. But even so, I mean, he's there to kill her just because she attacks him preemptively. It's not, and really, we only get him to the point of saying well, maybe there is humanity in, and, and maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. Like that's that's really as far as we get to. Deckard is I don't want to do this anymore, and you're left, you're left to ponder why mm. this is very much a a stance on on the moral question of of these beings um and and yeah Kay is unambiguously heroic by the Mm -hmm. end it's uh man i just i i was
0: i was blown away we can't we can't talk about the movie without addressing some of the issues raised with it while i did cite some um some negative criticism. The movie did gain uh, currently an 88% on Rotten Tomato. Um, it has, however, been called into question for uh, being a film that is heavily catered to heterosexual men and particularly that of white men, because it's not as diverse a cast as we had in Blade Runner, which was which was also a pretty white movie. Uh, We get Edward James almost back for his scene, which was very fun. Yeah, it was a nice little cameo. It
1: is just a cameo. Yeah,
0: but my defense there would be that this is a representation of the people that need to have that commentary uh, against them in Mm. large part uh, (laughs) because one of the other criticisms is the, the, consumer relationship that society has with females. Um, And we see Kay's version of joy as being very much the exception rather than the rule uh, as we see in the joy advertising. Um, But there is also, I think in that representation, a condemnation of the people that do not treat uh, the the females around them, with the kind of respect that Kay does, um, he mm-hmm. has wonderful interactions with the the females in the cast, and I think one of my favorite interactions being that Blade Runner twenty forty nine gives us hope at about the halfway point in the movie by saying that. Uh, K discovers that he is the Neo. He is the chosen one. He is the birthed replicant child. And then he has that taken from him by the female leader of the resistance. And then accepts the burden of self-sacrifice from her. I I wouldn't say gladly because who would? But wholeheartedly. And unquestioningly, we see him yeah. as determined to win or die trying in the fight against love as we did in the opening Batista fight. Um, yeah. And I I think that, that that visual imagery of a blonde-haired, stunningly blue-eyed uh, white guy learning to support the people around him instead of think that he's so special. I don't think that that's a, a an accident on the part of Villeneuve. Um, uh, and so I, I can understand having an initial aversion to it, but I, I really, I think that, that that is in and of itself a righteous condemnation of, the world that we're in and in the fact that as Villeneuve himself uh, stated. I think this is a self-aware movie and I'm sensitive about this. Blade Runner is not about tomorrow. It's about today. And I'm sorry. The world is not kind on women. It should be, but yeah. it is not. And I I, I hmm. think that's one of those and science fiction does this in such a wonderful way. We know the cliche of art holds a mirror up to life. Science fiction does that to the nth degree by amplifying the problems, showing us this dystopia created because we caved to our problems. And that's, we discussed the original was evergreen. And I think that that is a topic that is also evergreen of, you know, we're discussing humanity, but we're also discussing, an appreciation and an equality of humanity, which is Mm -hmm. only something that is seen as important
1: to our eventual hero. The, the whole, the whole question that is being, being brought up is what we've done is we've created replicants and replicants are a means, not an end. Yep. And what, what the replicants in the first Blade Runner movie try to demand what, well, I think what Batty's speech at the end of the first Blade Runner movie is so great about is it's not, I mean, it, it is a, a very nice philosophical soliloquy in a lot of ways. But the, the thing that he says is, I've, I've seen things you'll never imagine. Mm. and and they're gone with me. Like all of that, like he describes these things that he's, that he's seen in his days as a combat unit and that sort of thing. Uh, and they're, they're gone. All these memories are just, they're gone when he goes. Uh, and that says, I am an end, not a means. Mm. My experiences are just mine my experiences didn't didn't occur for anyone else like the the beautiful things that i saw in being forced to travel around the universe as a as a created soldier those things belong just to me and no one else gets them um and so it's a sort of defiant way of expressing even even though i die right now i have something that no one else got to have uh, and no one else gets to have it, there's, a, there's a defiance in it. And 29, 40, 2049 precedes that, but I think takes it a lot farther in saying, once you see someone, once you see a, a being that is an end in themselves, being treated as a means rather than an end, it demands action. Mm. As much as Harrison Ford is not great in this movie... Um and as much as I can't the, the whole I will not put on a costume thing that just the the point he makes in the in this the conversation they have is yeah I I never got to meet my daughter that was the cost that was the price of of this of doing the right thing like it's horrible and that was the price. Um and Ryan Gosling or Kay's acceptance of when his sort of hope that he's the he's the replicant Messiah is taken from him and that he he has to lose himself to create a future for others. Like there's a there's action demanded. And the conflict in this movie is between the Wallace corporation, which wishes to keep like there's this big long speech from Jared Leto about you know the only way we can we can conquer the stars is if we yeah. have slaves. Like slavery is slavery is a necessary component of empire. We make millions, so we that can effect. be billions. Uh, yeah, and that is historically very true. Um, and is just a it's it's just the speech of one who sees, who sees only the means and love is the embodiment of someone who has accepted herself as Mm. the means. Uh, And what's interesting is that the heroic thing of K is that having having had his worldview shift to view other replicants as humans and therefore as ends in and of themselves, the only way for him to to do something about it requires that he turn himself into a means for the ends Mm -hmm. of others, but willingly and sacrificially rather than because it's programmed. Uh, And I think the I think the conclusion, it it is a very nice callback to Batty, but I think there's a really distinct thing. Batty ends sort of rolling himself down to this. Honestly, it's not the fetal position. It's the position that that Arnold Schwarzenegger is in when he teleports in in the first (laughs) term. Yep, that's it. And the way that the way that K and it's peaceful and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful shot, but it's an, and in, in the rain and the way that K ends with this slow reclining back on the stairs, it's, it's so much more restful and he's looking up watching the snowfall. And it, there's just an entirely different mood yeah. to the moment. Um, and there's an entirely different mood to snow compared to rain. Um, Less oppressive. It's so beautiful and so dense, but it's there's a beautiful there's a beautiful narrative and a beautiful message being being expressed, and I appreciate that Villeneuve is able to take a a morally ambiguous world and say, yes, there are some things that are kind of morally ambiguous, like. Is it weird if you're in love with an right. AI? Because there's some ambiguity there. Like that's a that's a question we can debate. Voluntary prostitution. Uh, obviously, this film is all up. She's a heroine, right? Yeah. There's mm. there's all sorts of there's all sorts of moral ambiguity still in this film, but the film can still say, "But there are some things that are wrong, and there are some things that are so right that you must yeah. do them." That there are moral imperatives. Um, and, I, and I think that's. That's interesting. Um, uh, you know. Maybe that's not what he's trying to say. And that was how I read. That was how it read to me. Um, can, can I just say. You are really good at this. The, uh, the, I'm, <laughs> I mean
0: this. With wholeheartedly. As one of my dearest friends. I so thoroughly enjoy. Discussing film with you. Um, I'm, I'm a hundred percent there. I, I passionately love this movie. I told Philip, uh, pre-recording that unironically, this is in my top three science fiction movies of all time. This cracks into my favorite movies of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. I love this movie. I'll be honest with you. I'm probably going to rewatch 2049 again before our next topic, because I saw I saw so much more from a cinematic standpoint that I hadn't ever appreciated. We talked about the genteel aspect of Dave Batista's character, but we also knew that he was an impending, imposing force when he falls. The camera doesn't shake because the camera's not physically there. It's not a cast member, but the floor does and Gosling shutters for mm. just a quick moment. And those tiny st- sort of details, they stand out so much to me. Um, and all of the intention behind a film of this scope uh, is just something that I, I can't help but appreciate. And then to make something on this scale, with some things to say and some things that I can get behind and some questions that I go, hey, world, we should be thinking like this. We we should be addressing these things. Um, I I just I love this movie. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, while it's open, I don't know if I want another one.
1: Yeah, it felt to me like this was. Setting up a sequel uh, with the impending replicant revolution and the ending on that moment of, of Deckard meeting his daughter. Uh, I'm sorry, do we get her name? Yes, uh, I have it. Do, 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 do. Dr. Anna Staline. Um, I. Like it felt like it felt like that was a setup. I don't know if that's a good idea or I don't know if that's intended. Like, I don't know if that was just a leaving the world open um, or if there is some intention there. I, I haven't read anything about an upcoming sequel. So, uh, but, and I mean, currently, at least in the world of Denis Villeneuve, he's, he's working things. on Doom. I've got
0: I've got the future of both things that we know of laid out. Uh, I will say before before we wrap this, my favorite moment of the movie is a scene Mm -hmm. that is probably unpredicted, uh, but I'm glad you took us back to Dr. Staline. It's the scene when Kay is talking to her and she reads his memory of the wooden horse and the orphanage Mm -hmm. tucked away in the stove vent. When she pulls her face back from the reader, And she has tears in her eyes and she says, this memory is real. Someone lived this. There is a 20, maybe 25 second journey that Ryan Gosling goes on before standing up, swearing, kicking a stool and walking out. That Mm -hmm. is, um, frankly, it's the kind of moment that I've come to expect from a Dennyville new film. But it was so painful and also pleasant to experience in this kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I love science fiction. I, I, I genuinely love it. And I love character work. And so very rarely do we get to see them married together with the kind of, of passion that I think so many of the cast members brought to this film. Um, do you yeah, have a... a- Single standout.
1: I loved the character that Robin Wright plays and I loved the relationship between her and Kay. um, Because there is a, it's interesting because uh, very, very early she, she obviously sees him as Mm -hmm. an hit. But at the same time, and this is interesting to me, as much as the line you've been doing just fine without one feels really cold. At the same time, she feels the need to make him to reassure him. Yeah. um, In a way that doesn't come off as, cal- as entirely calculated. And I, and I think that's, I think that's interesting. Uh, I feel like there's a moment. Tell me if I'm, if I'm just read this wrong, there's a moment where there it's, it's night and they're at least she's having a drink. I'm not actually sure if he's having a drink. Anyway, but they're sitting together. Is it kind of hinted that she, that she's kind of offering interest?
0: Mm-hmm. I've, I've read him? that there was, there was a bit of, of, yeah. of,
1: of blurred attraction there. Um, yeah. Like it's not, you know, she's not throwing herself at him. It's not, it's not anything weird. It's just, there's a sort of, well, kind yeah. of moment. Um, and then he, he gets up and leaves. Um, uh, not coldly again, just there's, it's like she has accidentally befriended yeah. him. And I think, and, and, and it, when it comes to the point of it, he fails to, he fails his baseline test. She says, I can get you out of the building alive. And then you have 48 hours to, to meet baseline. That's, that's a, Run. I can hold this for 48 hours. That's huge. That's so big. And then when love shows up, you come to the point of like this one, it's this will cost me some paperwork. This will look bad on my record. And it comes to the point of this thing's going to yeah. kill me. And she goes without any of the story being from her perspective. We get this journey of her going from, eh, you're an appliance without a soul, uh, to, no, I'm, um, if you kill me because I won't help you here, that's okay.
0: Yeah, there's, she has, she's the person who lays out the problem with uh, Mm -hmm. a, a child being born from replicants, and then is also the one that says, you have now to go. And yeah. I, I love that growth. I'm with you, man. This, this movie is nearly three hours long and I promise Philip and I could discuss it for at least six.
1: Yep. Moving right along. Also, I got choked up talking through
0: Robin right there. Just it's so good. It's so good. It's uh, if you're not talked into seeing mm. this movie by, by this point, uh, then, I don't know how you're still here listening to our opinions. (laughs) (laughs) He followed up Blade Runner's middling performance uh, in the box office Mm -hmm. by then being given Dune, which uh, I I mean, I've, I think I've heard of that story. You've,
1: I think it's really great. It's just amazing to me that, um, the year before doing Blade Runner, Ridley Scott mm-hmm. was working on an adaptation yeah. of Dune. And the year after doing Blade Runner, Denis Villeneuve does an adaptation of Dune.
0: There's a beautiful synchronicity there. That's um, It's just lovely. And the dude is not slowing down uh, anytime soon. Dune Part 1 uh, has become the highest grossing film to date. Uh, the sequel, Dune Part 2, has been greenlit. Of of the year, surely. No. Or yes, his, his high script? His, his. Sorry, his. Sorry. Okay. His no, not. Sorry, okay. James Cameron still exists. <laughs> the, like, the? That's- James
1: Cameron and Marvel shows. <laughs> James exist. Cameron who. It's the I mean, Russo you can't brothers. say who. He's got Avatar 2 coming it dethroned out. Like, him. It's
0: gonna be him again.
1: Yeah. I know he's two, doing three, that. and four.
0: That's a whole other thing. Anyway, That's uh, Dune Part why? Two has been greenlit and is people <laughs> with too much money and is no one tentatively no scheduled for October twentieth, two thousand twenty-three, which just can't come soon enough. Uh, fans of crime novels will also be excited about the fact that he's going to come back to Earth to uh, direct an adaptation of Swedish author Joe Nesbo's crime novel, The Sun. Uh, And he will be directing that with Jake Gyllenhaal for HBO as a limited series. Hmm. Um, He is also going to direct. This is interesting and and another fun synchronicity that uh, Ridley Scott's doing Napoleon. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is also going to go back in history and direct Cleopatra for Sony Pictures. And does that say not yet? No. On what you got no, it has not okay. been cast yet. That's that's a ways off. He's got stuff to do first. And yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even finished <laughs> filming. Doom, yeah. So. And uh, the last thing on his upcoming is very exciting to us. Deep science fiction nerds. He is adapting for Alcon Entertainment, the company who owns the Blade Runner, writes Arthur C. Clark's rendezvous with Rama which was a Hmm. series I devoured in high school. So I am. I am very excited to see what he shows us on the ship of Rama. Uh, Philip, you got anything else here on uh, on Blade Runner 2049? Uh, I'm a no, I I think we've said it.
1: Watch this movie. That's that. That's all Uh, watch this movie. I know we've spoiled it for you at this point, but really go back and watch it. It's just beautiful. If nothing else, it's just beautiful. This is,
0: this is a film to behold. Truly. Um, I I forgot to give uh, thanks in the, the last, but to the late Philip K. Dick uh, for his creation for this to Denny Villeneuve, the cast, the crew, Uh, Everyone who let this man have a vision and realize it and was a part of realizing it. Yeah. uh, We thank you. This is something special. Uh, If you want more Blade Runner, you can see Black Lotus, the animated series, which takes place in between the movies uh, and Amazon Studios has Ridley Scott as an executive producer for 50 years later, Blade Runner 2099. So we'll see where he takes us from here. Philip, uh, if you're not chatting with bots on the internet, then uh, how would people get (laughs) in touch with you? And what would you be doing? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's going nowhere, homie. (laughs)
1: appreciate your vulnerability.
0: Let's go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh,
1: you can find me, uh, playing D and D mostly, um, with, uh, on a podcast called Abram renewed and on a YouTube show mm-hmm. with you called Kyber shards, which you can find over on the geek Pantheon YouTube channel. Uh, I tweet from that handle, uh, Kyber shards primarily about D and D stuff. Um, built myself a little echo chamber <laughs> in the in the in the Twitter algorithm so that it only only talks to me about mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, which I'm of the things on Twitter, I'm pretty good with that. Find me on the internet. I
0: am on all socials at sorryBTR, the O spelled with a zero. You can all uh Philip, I'm I'm really appreciative that you went through the first one so you could arrive here with me at the end of the second one. This has been a special one Uh, for those of you that have joined us. Thank you so much for getting into it with us. We'll see you next time.